Ja. All right, hi. Welcome back to another episode of the Whatever This Is podcast. Um, I'm doing this intro for the second time. We're back on Skype, and um, this is a lot less. Um, this is a lot more of a freestyle than my first intro was because I'd actually prepared it. But since we're having to do it again due to technical difficulties, it's going to be you know classic whatever this is, completely unscripted, just off the top of my head. Um, the international break is back. The Russian football has taken a Russian club football has taken a break for a couple of weeks, and in the spirit of the international break, we have a very special guest on. We're going to have a few special guests from different countries, from different parts of the world on. Um, before that, I'm joined by my usual co-host Artem. Artem, what's up? How are you doing? Can you hear me? <laughs> and um, how's it going? Yeah. I can't hear you, but thanks. For anybody, obviously no one listening will, will know, but Hanu didn't go to me first last time, and I think he feels a little bit, uh, he feels a little <laughs> bit like he has to come to me first this time. But I'm good. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to talk about some football, and we've got a great guest on today, so it should be an interesting episode. Exactly. We do have a great guest on, and I would just like to thank him. Like he could say nothing for this entire episode, and I'd still be grateful because he's like he stood with us through all these technical issues. So. All the way from Greek football Twitter, from um, Greece, we have um, a panelist from the Gate 7 International Podcast, which is a great um, English language Greek football podcast. They cover uh, Olympiakos primarily, but also everything about Greek football, the national team, and so on and so forth. So we have with us Lambro Sirmo. Um, Lambro, <laughs> how's it going? What's up? Um and yeah, can you tell us a bit about, you know, your podcast, your introduction to football? And yeah, man, thanks. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks for sticking us, sticking with us through all these issues. Yeah, man, it's no problem. You know, technical difficulties. We've had a few guests where their Wi-Fi was so bad. We just had to keep repeating segments and segments and it was hours of editing. So this is nothing. Don't worry about it. Um, yeah, guys, I'm doing really good. Thank you for, of course, having me on. Excited to to talk some football, some some Russian football. I was making some Krasnodar references because that's that's the most recent team we've really seen um, from Russia, uh, I think, from Olympiakos' side, that is. And yeah, so I'm I'm from the Gates of an International Podcast. We're a podcast that focuses on Olympiakos, of course, but also more generally Greek football, which is quite shit, but we love it. Um, we have, um, yeah, we have interviews with ex-players, with journalists, just talking about Olympiakos, which is becoming... A much better club, I would, I, I think I can say, and just yeah. spreading the message of Olympiacos around the world in English, a language that most people speak these days. Not that many people speak Greek, and it's very confusing. So, you, you guys probably know, get that idea as well. You know, Russian's a very difficult language as well with a different alphabet. So, spreading yeah. the message of our football in a language that more people speak is a way to grow the football in in our country and for the club that we love so that's kind of the goal through through our uh, project yeah no for sure and you guys are doing a great job it's it's become really accessible and you know we we do something similar with russian football as you said you know the language differences the leagues aren't really covered that much by mainstream media for whatever reason even though they aren't really that bad it's just you know they just aren't covered so yeah um the guys do a great job be sure to check out their podcast on all platforms really um they're on youtube as well they're on Spotify, all of it, Apple Podcast, whatever. And yeah, be sure to check them out. And Lambro made a, a couple of really good points about, about Olympiakos, about Greek football, which we'll get to. But first, Artem, I want to ask you, um, Lambro said that his he knows a bit about Krasnodar. That's the most that's the Russian club he's most familiar with. But where do you think your knowledge of Greek football stands? And where does your um, how far does it go essentially, Artem? I think it's at the lowest level. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I I know I know of some of the clubs I've seen them play in Europe. Obviously, uh, I know a few players who've played both in Russia and Greece. But beyond that, my knowledge is zero. Like I wouldn't be able to tell you who's who's uh, on top of the table or anything at the moment. I think you would be able to tell who's on top of the table. We've talked about it every <laughs> week on this podcast. What? Just from guessing? Yes, I hope you know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Come on, you gotta know the answer, right? Exactly. Well, have <laughs> wait, hang on, hang on. Do you want me to guess? I'm gonna say Olympiacos if that's the. Have you yeah, seen the table? Do you know? That's what. No, I... this is what I'm saying. I haven't seen the table. I haven't looked at it. Fam, yeah, it's, it's not. It's not. I'm the, not. It's not even. They're leading by 47 points or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So I was right at least. You were right, of course. You were right. But look, look, look at that. 70 and 51. They are like. Jeez. That's why, right? So we're gonna segue into our first question that I have for Lambro, right? Artem, we've talked so many times on this podcast about, and Lambro, the question is, would you rather have a club, a league, with a club like Olympiacos, who are extremely dominant in their domestic league, right? And they do well in Europe. They reach the Europa League quarterfinals, they beat Arsenal, and they're a very respectable club in Europe. But the competition in the National League isn't that high. It's just like, you know who's going to win the league before the season has started. Or would you rather have like the Russian League, where there's a lot of great clubs, but they're at a similar level. You don't know who's going to win the league. But the caveat with that is that they're all pretty bad in Europe, right? And Artem always says that he would like more competition and he would rather not have Olympiacos. He would rather have the competition. He would rather that the clubs are... He would not sacrifice, you know, competition in the league. Because if you have a look at the Russian league table... um, Pulling it up on the screen right now. Look at this, right? You've got, it's really close. From third to eighth, there's just a three-point gap. And you have the European places till the fifth place, right? So, Lambro, of course, you might be a bit biased because you are an Olympiacos fan. But from the perspective of the league, would you rather have one dominant club and a pretty dead league? Or would you rather have competition? Thing is, I, I, I... Since I am that dominant club, I want the dominant club, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, let's say it was like Panathinaikos or Ike or something. Maybe I would want the Russian-style league. But since I'm the lead, I'm the team at the top, and we get to go far in Europe, I kind of enjoy that. And to be honest with you, the derby games are still fantastic games in Greece, even with the table. It, it's it's more that it's, they drop points to lower sides that Olympiakos would never drop points to. It's kind of a resilience. Um. Yeah, I, I'd rather do well in Europe, to be honest, because I, I feel like that's the future with, I know, these European Super Leagues and everything. One yeah. of my goals, well, not a goal, but hope is if if the world ever comes to that, that Olympiacos is a team in one of these European Super Leagues, you know. So um, I just think it's going towards more continental. So I would take, I think, the team doing well in Europe and dominating domestically, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. It's make an sense. interesting way to look at it. To be fair, like we we'd only obviously looked at it from from the the current format, not really looking ahead to those European Super Leagues. But even then, I'm I'm not sure. Like it it would depend on what the what the European Super Leagues would be, I guess. Yeah, I I could see a world or something where it's almost like relegation and promotion for these European Super Leagues, and there's three or four of them, and then Olympiakos is second tier European league, or I don't know something. If it ever does get to that, I don't know. I, I just want us to be included, I think. And I have a gut feeling that's where we're going, slowly but surely. Very sad, though, isn't it? it? Yeah. Like, we don't want it to happen, but it seems like we're going there, the whole European Super League. I hate every discussion about those leagues. But it just, yeah, it's like they're, they're I scrapping like the it. idea of the, the combined leagues, because our league is so shit, but our league combined with Serbia, Cyprus maybe other Balkan countries, Croatia, I think that would be a ton of fun. I don't know if you guys saw the news about the Belgian and Dutch league thinking yeah. about merging. I think yeah. that would be a great idea for the Greek league and the Serbian league and just not the Turkish league, hopefully not even. <laughs> <laughs> just leave it at that. But but yeah, Cyprus as well. Cyprus has a few good teams that would make the Greek league so fun to watch, you know, like Apoel yeah. and Ammonia is decent, like, it would just make our league so much better instantly. So, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I, I like the idea of Greece combining with um, Cyprus. I really do because you've got... The top six are, are pretty good. Like there, You would like to have them in the Greek league still. But if you have... If you add Apoel, if you add Ammonia, if you add like three or four of those, then these dead teams, Smyrny and Volos and, you know... Um, yeah, exactly. Larissa, they would, they would go away. And that, that's what we want to see. But these, like, even in Russian football, there's always sort of conversations about oh, merging with Belarus, 
or merging with like two clubs from Kazakhstan or something because of, of what it's like over there. But Artem, if let's say there's a European Super League, right? And Russia isn't included in it. No Russian club is included in it. How would you like the Russian League? Because then would you like there to be a Soviet Super League again? Who, what would your like dream mixed match league look like with Russia in it? I'd love a Soviet Super League. The only issue with it is that I don't think any team from any country outside of Russia wants that. Like, if you're taking, the, if you're talking about the best teams, at least, are we really gonna get the Ukrainian FA and the RFU working together? Is it really gonna happen? Geopolitically, exactly. my uh, my uh, political mind starts saying no real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there would have to be some insane thing that both Russia and and Ukraine were fighting against in the next ten years for them to work on the same side. It would have to be ridiculous. It would have to be World War Three, and the Nazis are back. Jesus like, Christ! That 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 level, like the Russians, like I don't think the Russians and the Ukrainian people hate each other, but the the politics there would just make it just impossible. I could see it happening with Belarus because Belarus and Russia are kind of on level terms. There was even talks last year of Belarus becoming part of Russia. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which 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 was wild. Um, but it's just it's difficult to to imagine. Like, uh, and if you if you can't have Ukraine in there, then like it's not it's just not going to be the same as it's not going to fulfill its full potential. But putting politics aside, like completely aside i would love it to happen because you'd have teams like you know you'd have uh bate from from belarus you'd have uh, Shakhtar donetsk you have dinamo kiev you'd have a lot of great teams you know even even from countries like georgia and kazakhstan and stuff like that that would really add to the competition um but whether it's going to happen or not like i there's less than zero percent chance in my opinion <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah but yeah, I feel like you guys have um, just I, I think your league has the potential to be standalone like the money is there and I don't know, some of the stadiums you have are much better than let's say Cyprus or in Greece it's really our stadium Ike built a new stadium but you, you know what I mean like you guys have yeah, infrastructure yeah, yeah. and people willing to spend money to make like a better league I think it's more for like like Serbia Cyprus you know Croatia like at no points are these leagues standalone, like with their populations able to compete with like a Spanish league, you know, so they have to combine. I think, yeah, I think the potential like is there for Russian football to be really good. And it, to be honest, I, I think in the past it used to be much better. I could be wrong. But it is, yeah, it was, yeah. Like, uh, I remember Kostas Manolas almost went to Zenit, um, was it three, oh. four years ago? And there yes. was like, I, I think the reason he didn't go was because he didn't want to get paid in Russian rubles. He wanted to get paid in euros or something. Yeah, and, I remember something like that, yeah. But he was, like, sealed and ready to go, but it was just a disagreement over the currency that he would be paid in, supposedly. And oh. the and I don't I think that's one of the first players who would have gone to Russia. I literally can't remember a Greek player in Russia. I I don't think there has been any. But look at, look at that, Lambro. You said you don't know anything about Russian football, and you're... Like making some phenomenal points right here, right? Because thing you say about Russian football being very high potential, like people in Russian football, Russians really don't rate Russian football very highly. But as an outsider, like we can see the potential. It's just that we've had terrible luck, and the managers are bad, like Krasnodar's manager and so on. Otherwise, it's it's like we really have the potential. But yeah, Artem, go on. What are you saying? No, I was gonna bring up the like Lambro said that that Russian teams had had good teams in the, uh, Russian. Sorry, Russia had good teams in the past. And, you know, this kind of leads into one of the topics I guess we would have talked about at one point. Because a lot of the Russian teams that were good in the past, um, you know, even like the one that everyone thinks of, uh, what they think of Russia is Angie. You know, all of that yeah. happened before financial fair play. And now with UEFA saying that financial fair play is pretty much out the window, how do you think that's going to affect both the Russian league and the Greek league? Like, how is it going to, like influence those those leagues that are just outside of the top five or you know between fifth between sixth and twelfth or whatever um i'll take that first lambro and then we know we'll uh um but i i, I don't like it man i i want ffp to stay I'm, I'm a fan of ffp like because you know stupid premier league twitter children have just 
said, oh, Man City, uh, corrupt FFP, whatever their stupid rhetoric is. But if you really read the 100-page reports that UEFA put out about of FFP, which I sadly do, then you can <laughs> see that you can see the impact that it's having. Like there has been sustainability, the profits and stuff are rising, wild spending has sort of um, settled, if you will. And even though I love Anzi and I would love to see that happen again, I, I just for the sake of long-term stability, I want FFP to stay. Uh, but what is, guess, what about stuff like like Ruben? Like they got banned from Europe for two three seasons, and like their FFP breaches compared to those of a lot of different clubs, like it was just outrageous, wasn't it? I mean, it was. But when you read the case reports, it was like it was two seasons was maybe a bit harsh. But Ruben were a mess, man. We know Ruben were a mess. They were a mess, they were, but they weren't. The, they weren't the kind of mess that were going out and spending like just ruining the game with the amount of money they were spending. Like in, like when FFP was brought in, like it was my understanding that this was to make like football more fair, and the owners couldn't come in and just spe- spend irresponsibly. I don't think that Ruben spent irresponsibly. I think that they just got unlucky with a few players, and you know, like they just couldn't fund them with the, the behind the scenes money. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's, yeah. That's a really good point because I remember Pedro Martin's first season at Olympiacos. Olympiacos got rid of 26 players, and it was just a shit show that this Albanian coach Besnikasi brought in, and Olympiacos just barely passed fa- financial fair play and almost got screwed because of that. And it's, I feel like it screws smaller teams financial fair. Like Panathinaikos has been out of Europe for like three years, yeah. but then. How much debt is Barcelona in? Like, I almost think this is to save Barcelona to a certain extent. Like, how? I wouldn't be surprised if they were over a billion dollars in debt. You know, so it's it's weird. You know, because like for smaller countries, it's such a big deal financial fair play and like cutting into financial fair play. But again, for like these other teams in Europe, like PSG with that Neymar buy, like it just seems like it's no big deal for them. And, yeah, it's just something that negatively affects us, and it's a bit annoying. But I don't know. Is there anything better than that? I, I don't know. That's why I'm kind of disappointed to hear it go as well. Well, that that's the thing. It's I, I just feel like it hasn't done the job that it was brought in to do, and I think that's why they're taking it out. I'm sure they're going to implement something else. I can't, I can't imagine that they're not. But what FFP has actually done, from my eyes, is exactly what you said. It's 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 like detriment of the leagues that are lower and the teams that are already up there that can spend these amount of monies they find you know in inverted bracket inverted commas they find sponsors from you know here there and everywhere like like psg being being sponsored literally by a country like you know teams from other leagues like from russia from greece they're not going to get that chance and for that reason they're stuck outside of where they could be you know well, I mean, yeah, that that that's fair, I guess. Um, I don't, I still don't like it. I mean, I I feel like yeah, FFP can be tweaked and and made better, but we got to realize that half of Russian football was being investigated for FFP breaches. Like Zenit were being investigated, and they did the exact same thing that PSG did, and they didn't cover it up too well. So it was like, it was so funny. It was that the UEFA asked for actual documents proving these sponsorships, and Zenit just wrote main sponsor one, 50 million. Main sponsor to 20 million, and it was all Gazprom subsidiaries. So that's, like, but, but see, that's the thing, and it's like the clubs that can't do that kind of thing and just can't make a lot of shell companies here, there, and everywhere are the ones being fucked, and it's not the bigger ones. Like, that's what's annoying about all this because FFP, at the end of the day, look at it any way you want, was to stop teams from like essentially monopolizing leagues. That was the idea. So, yeah, but I, I feel it, like it has. Well, I feel like it has succeeded, hasn't it? Because then PSG and Man City were both bought before FFP was a thing, right? Since then, how many yeah. such empires have you seen come up? It's only them two. And they have, even though they're doing some really dodgy accounting, like they have the proof to back that up. It yeah, stopped but... like it stopped like the, I don't know, the Sultanate of Oman from buying Burnley and then just making it into like a... Something like that. It's it's that's why Newcastle got um, their well, takeover. 
But it's one of the reasons what, why they would got that, Would that have actually stopped it, though? Because if... Like, what is to stop an owner coming in and, and you know, buying a club? And then using these same shell companies from, from other places, from relatives or whatever, like... Like what? What's to actually stop that from happening within FFP? Like, just if you if no, you there, can, yeah, please educate me because I'm I'm just unaware. No, there is nothing, and there should ideally be nothing. It's the, the the thing is, when City came in, right? Their first season, they had a loss of 157 million euros, right? Yeah. When Sheikh Mansour's first season under FFP, that would not have worked out because Milan had such a similar loss, and they were like they they forfeited the European spot last season, right? So although there would have been nothing stopping them from doing that, they would have had to do something so that the club was at least slightly trying to rein its spending. And if we had FFP when Anzi were a thing, then Anzi would not have spiraled and died like they did. So I don't know. Lambro, what do you think? Do you think scrapping FFP is going to help Greek football, clubs like Panathinaikos, clubs like Olympiakos, Ivan Savidis, Spauk? What do you think? Yeah, that's funny you're you're bringing up Savidis before me because I was gonna say because he he's a Russian. I, I, am I allowed to say it? like oligarch? I, that's like kind of what of they're are. called in the media. A Russian oligarch, I guess, very wealthy. I think it was from tobacco. That was his background, and yeah, he's kind of showed up, and drama has followed him. There's always drama in Greek football, but um. I don't know. My co-host Adi believes that it has brought some stability because like Panathinaikos before FFP, the reason they, they got banned was they bought Jibril Cissé for like 20 million euros, I think. They had like a magical season with him and they had an amazing team with Gilberto Silva, Sotiris Ninis before he just floundered. And they were like a magical team. But then like the bill came due and it was like 60, 70 million euros. And there was yeah. like... Yeah, this club does not have any money to do this. And it was because of financial fair play, I guess, or the, the non-existence of financial fair play that some of this happened. So I I think it's going to be a big problem for some Greek football teams who may just go. And that's the problem with Greek football is we've lost some massive clubs to, re, to the financial crisis, obviously hurt us really hard. But we lost Aris for so many seasons. Ike, of course, went down to the fourth division. A big team called Iraklis still hasn't yeah. recovered, and it, it, it's defunct. So we've lost a lot of clubs due to financial mismanagement. And I think financial fair play has kind of helped that, to be honest. Like Panathinaikos is, and even Pauk, guys. Pauk is like on the edge of FFP. Um, yeah. I, I think it's helped, you know, some of these clubs keep their budget intact and not just go into massive amounts of debt, leading to the disappearance of historic football teams. So... That's my real real concern. Um, of course, there's some Olympiakos fans who say, now Maidinakis can just spend $20 million for a winger because he's a billionaire without FFP, blah, blah, blah. So some people believe that, but I don't know. Um, I think it's going to be bad for Greek football, to be honest, if there's not a decent solution which comes, comes up for it. Because I think we're on the right path, but like Greek owners can can spend and disappear real quick so we don't want that to happen either that's fair right artem we've out democracy you it's two to one you've lost this one okay okay ffp, FFP is good all right now um shifting the topic right lambro you mentioned uh you asked when you were talking about manolas that you can't remember any greek player playing in russia right so i privately googled it right and the, there's there's only been two players two greek players to have played in russia Okay. One of one of the guys was um, Georgios Sateridis, who was playing that all the way is. back in yeah in 2005. Uh, yeah, he was Moscow. famous. I think he was on the 2004 squad, but kind of before my time, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's why I didn't I didn't ask you to guess him. But the other player currently plays for Panathinaikos, and he's Greek. Can you guess him? Oh, and he's Greek. Yeah. And this is a really Panathinaikos, hard one because huh? he only oh, spent like a season in Russia. Nikos Vergos? No. No. Nah. Uh, Mathatis didn't go there ever. Plantellas? Is that his name? Vageris Plantellas? Nah, no. You'll be surprised because he's sort of a famous name now in Greek football. Oh my god, I'm trying to... Vintra? No, he's on Lamia. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. 
It's Karelis. Karelis. He w- he played in Russia. No, he didn't. He did. He he played for like he in 2012 he signed for a club called Amkar Pearl, who are now dead. They died. Oh, but he man, only spent I a season there, and then he went to Panathinaikos. After that, he went to Genk, and then Brentford, and, and whatever. Yeah, I think he didn't make many appearances. He died from knee injuries, but yeah, he was good for Panathinaikos. But I did not realize he played in Russia. That's crazy. Yeah, only made ten appearances, didn't score any goals. So. Yeah, sounds about right for his career. <laughs> yeah. Um. Right. What else we got? Uh, Lambro, what do you think of Yuri Lodigan? You don't know Yuri Lodigan? Lodigan, the the goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he played for Libyagos for half a year. He's playing really well for uh, Bazianina, which is yeah. a smaller club in the northwest of Greece. It's actually quite nice little little club. Um, I yeah. know some people connected to that them actually, but yeah, it, I, he's having a really good season. And um, I don't know if you guys saw this, but they beat Panathinaikos three times in a row. They kicked them out of the cup, and then they beat them in the league as well. So they beat them twice in the cup, and then beat them in the league. That almost led to Panathinaikos' coach getting sacked. Yeah. But he's been a big reason because he's been playing really well. And I remember when he signed for us, um, interviews he gave. His Greek was decent, actually, for not. I don't think he lived ever in Greece, or if he did, it was when he was younger. So yeah, yeah, he was he was a backup goalkeeper. I want to say for us, he never really started, but he was decent always. I don't know. Does he he played for Zenit, right? Yeah, that's what it says there. He did so. for a while. Yeah, he was. Um, cause that's the thing. Cause no, he is as Greek Greece Greek as Greek. He is. I can't speak. He's as Greek as he's Russian. So you know, he was at Xanthi for a while, and then at Zenit he was. Artem, you you're a big fan of Rodigan. He was proper good at Zenit uh, in that Hulk Witzer team. Yeah, was, there was there was a stage where he was the best keeper in the well. Okay, alongside Akinfeyev, the best keeper in the league, and like there were shouts for him to come in instead of Akinfeyev uh, to be the main goalkeeper of Russia. But then towards the end of his Zenit career, he started to make a lot of mistakes, which is really upsetting. But, you know, one of the best... I, I genuinely think of Yuri Lodigan, when it comes to penalties, is one of the best keepers you can have. Like, he's yeah. absolutely unbelievable. He just knows exactly what to do in those situations. Yeah, and it's good to see because after coming back from Olympia, because he played for like six months in Turkey, then played like two games for Arsenal Tula, and now he seems like he's finally found a club which is where he's actually getting football, where he's got five clean sheets in eight games, so you have to respect it. Um, but yeah, that was our little um, Lodigan tangent. Yeah, he, to be honest, Pas Yanina have this young coach. I want to say his name's Yanakis, uh, and he's really good. He's really good. He took them up to the first division. And Basianina play nice football, actually, guys. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he leaves, actually, this summer for a job in a better Greek team or maybe even abroad. Um, I think yeah. he's, like, German-Greek or something as well, which makes sense because the Greek-Greek coaches are pretty pretty yeah. terrible. So <laughs> I don't yeah, know. He, he, they, they've yeah. been decent. I, um, I've um i enjoyed watching them, and they've played Olympiacos really well, actually, this year, I should say, as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the Germans, because there's lots of German-Russian fellas as well, who are not even in just football. They just do really well, and I've seen that in, in Greece as well. Like, the new Schalke coach is Greek, and then you've got loads of Russian-German people, so that's a nice little um, point you made. But 30 minutes in, and we haven't even discussed... The Russian national team or the Greek national team or any national team. Ah, the lineup um, is just out for our beautiful Greek national team. And Is it? Is it actually as bad as they said it was? Yes, it was exactly as they said it was. It is. Um, to give uh, you guys some... Wait, to, yeah, to give you some perspective, it's um, what, Vlachodimos, uh, who's a top goalkeeper at Benfica, actually. Supposedly, he's rumored to be moving to Borussia Dortmund. Supposedly, that's already done, Sportsman. So, to some people, I don't know if I believe that. Yeah. And then we have Bakakis, the really bad Ike right back, who got benched by a centre-back named Svarnas, who's also on the bench, who sucks. Um, and then we have Kyriakos Papadopoulos, which you guys may remember him. I think he played against Russia. Was it in 2012, the Euros, that we were in the same group? Oh, yeah. Oh, in the same group. I <laughs> think we were in, same. in that tournament. They did, yeah. They lost on the final game, didn't they, Artem? Yeah, like we beat Russia, we beat Russia in the final. 
I think we beat Russia in the final game of the group, or we drew. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. You did. No, you definitely. It was because the thing was Russia were like really dark horses going into the tournament, and then they just got knocked out in the group stages. So everyone was really mad. And yeah, it was Greece. It was Greece. Yeah. So, yeah, that's one the Greek national team was confident. Now it's uh, loaded with Turkish second-rate players, like Turkish league, and it's just it's it's. It's really sad. We're we're having new uh, football federation elections, and um, there's kind of a hope. Uh, Zagorakis, if you guys know who that is, he won Euro 2004. He played for Pauk for many years. He played abroad for many years. He looks like he's going to be the new leader of the Hellenic Football Association, and people are pretty optimistic that that means changes to Greek football are coming. So I I will 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 definitely be covering it. And we're we've invited a journalist on who we've had on before who basically covers the football federation and the national team and he's going to give us the, the rundown after the elections are held but there's kind of hope this coach gets fired Manola Socrates come back Siovas comes back and we ride in with a new coach after the election well that's my dream so we'll see if that go- but the national yeah. team is going to lose big today um yeah I mean Spain aren't even that good anymore and it seems like you know they're, they're still they just turn up man they just turn up in in these international matches and yeah i mean this yeah. greece this my understanding of greek football tells me that this lineup is pretty awful few of the best players that you have are on the bench and artem speaking of um is what does ryan ship have hair or is he bald as well does who have greek, hair the greek national team manager are you asking me no i'm not <laughs> asking you. if he has hair yeah does he John Van Tripp, he does indeed have hair. He's a Dutchman. He former teammate of, uh, was he a teammate or he was coached by Johan Cruyff? He like loves Johan Cruyff. He, I think he's his book salesman or he's maybe the like the publisher's book salesman. Cause all he does is go on Greek TV promoting the the Johan Cruyff biography. So I don't know. All right, I don't know why I remembered him to be bored because our Russian national team manager is a. Famously bored um, manager named Stanislav Cherchesov, who spent a bit of... He did really well in the World Cup, but ever since, people, you know, criticize him a lot for his team selection. And Artem, we were we were confident about... We were fine with the team selection when it came out. Um, and the first match took place yesterday. Um, Russia beat Malta 3-1. But if you look at the stats, it was actually very close of a game. Like... Malta had more shots on target. They had almost the same possession, almost the same passes and everything. So did you get to watch this match? And are you worried? Or are you, you know, you're happy that they got the win and you're not too worried, Artem? Look, when you're when you're coming up against um, a team like Malta, you know, one of one of the greats of football, it's always it's always tough. So I'm I'm real proud of the boys for coming away with an away win, you know. Um, yeah. But for, for for real, like, I think people go into matches with these kind of tiny nations, you know, whether it be San Marino, whether it be Malta, whether it be anyone, like any of those islands, any of those little tiny countries with like, like Liechtenstein, you know, those kind of places yeah. with the with the opinion that Russia should come out and score 10 goals. Yeah. And, you know, it's not always as easy as that. You know, the, the players who are playing from Malta or any of those other small nations are usually extremely motivated. And, you know, the Russian players might be a little bit complacent. They didn't play too well. Like, I didn't get to watch the match, but I watched the highlights afterward. They didn't play too well. And Malta did have a few good chances to equalize even. So, like, it would have put Russia in a real bad position. But at the end of the day, we won 3-1. Um, you know, like, three points is, is all we need. Like, I would be worried if we played the same way against Slovenia or Slovakia. But, like, look, you go against Malta and you get the win, and I actually don't care if it's 1-0, 10-0, like, as long as you win. Mm, Okay, fair enough. I wasn't... I mean, people were really, on Russian football Twitter, people were really, really memeing how bad Russia were for the first 20 minutes. Not how bad Russia were, but how... Exactly what you said. Like they didn't score three in the first fifteen minutes, so people were mad, and I understand that. Like Malta's squad is like you read these names, and it's like 
those 11 regions on football manager that you know just pop up there or it's like players on score hero or something pro yeah. clubs players essentially like there's no rhyme or reason with their names or anything so and they're ranked 176 in the fifa rankings so you should expect to beat them at least 5 to 6 nil um I didn't see like that that but that's the thing it's like I think those expectations always make it seem like the team performed worse than they did like because Russia have beaten San Marino I think it was 9-0 the last time they played them or whatever like you can't yeah. expect that from every team every every game against a smaller team like Russia are and as well as this Russia are not always the favorites to win games So it's not like Russia's team is set up to go out and attack teams like that, you know? Like, Russia yeah. tend to be a fairly defensive team. So, like, I I, I don't know if really... Like, it, look, maybe if I'd watched it live, I would have been a lot more pissed off. I was actually just watching the Ireland game because I thought that, you know, that would be a closer one than this, but... It was, to be fair, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was 3-2 in the end um, to, to Serbia. Um, so yeah. upsetting, upsetting on this end. But like, look back to Russia for a second. They got the job done, and they probably saved saved their energy for the next two games. And I'm hoping that next week when we're on the podcast, we'll be able to say that Russia are are now on nine points or at least six. So. Okay. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Slovenia. We we came up against Slovenia in the Nations League, and we couldn't score. Um, they're not very good for me. Um, yeah, I think you guys really? should. They, I, they beat Croatia. Yeah, they beat Croatia. That's that. That's what I was really terrified of because I was looking at that result and I was like, shit, they beat the World Cup finalists. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Because in Greece it was like, oh, I, I think we were all just like so disappointed when we couldn't get past Slovenia in the Nations Cup or whatever it's called, and. It was just, yeah, so I'm surprised. It was just seemed like the Ilicic show and like maybe like one other player. But I guess they, they didn't have to go for the win in that game. A draw was fine and a draw is what they got. So maybe it was a little different, but I don't know. International football is weird sometimes, I swear. It is, yeah. I mean, listen, Artem, we know why Slovenia won yesterday. It's because Croatia is centre-backs, man. I mean, it's it's Lovren. It's Dejan Lovren and Domagoj Vida. I was thinking, be, I, I was thinking more because of uh, Slovenia centre back. Mia, shout out ex Zenit. Did you know Artem? Mia Mevlia is Rostov's all-time biggest sale. That sentence did not make sense. But Zenit paid nine million for this guy. Shit. It's like when. You know like, yeah, go on. To be fair, I actually am a huge fan of his. Like this bloke. Like every time I watched him for Zenit, like. I don't think he ever lost a header. I genuinely don't think the whole time it's in he ever lost a header. Whenever I saw a team hoofing the ball up, I was like, Grant, we have the ball back. He was so solid in the air. Unfortunately, his feet weren't that solid. But, you know, <laughs> that's that's neither here nor there. Yeah, because I, I started watching like Zenit properly when it was 2017-18. So who was it? Was it Mevlia and Neto at the center back? Or was it someone? I think it was someone else. I don't think it was Neto, no. Well, maybe it was Neto for parts, but I don't think it was. I don't think that was the main. Yeah, there was one guy we're forgetting. Lombards was gone by that point, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, no, Lombards was long gone. Lombards is like Cyprus or something. Did we have Ivanovic by then? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Ivanovic and Mevle. It was Ivanovic and Mevle. But it was like, who was that centre back you signed, Lambro, for like lots of money, who flopped? Oh, Bjorn Ingels? Yes, Bjorn Ingels. Bjorn Ingels. Yeah. Yeah, he was he plays for Aston Villa, I want to say. I, I think so, yeah. I don't remember. But we've had a lot of center backs who flop, so we've had uh but like big money ones, it's definitely Bjorn Ingels we spend. I remember Panos Retsos, Greek wonder kid who's been really injured. Yeah. Uh, we sold him for almost 20 million euros and we bought Bjorn Angles as a replacement for seven and a half million euros. And yeah. he never really worked. Or he did work for me. He did. That team was just freaking terrible. That was the year 26 players left. But um, yeah, he was supposed to be like a wonder kid as well. I, I just, yeah, I don't know what happened with him. 
I think yeah, that maybe. whole team, except for Tunis, just went and crawled in a ditch and died. Like their careers <laughs> for Olympiacos, at least. So. Yeah, maybe it just terrible. it happens sometimes. You know, when like players are highly rated, but they come to certain places and it just doesn't work out. And uh, speaking of players like that, Artem Adolfo Gaich. Can you tell us what's going on with Adolfo Gaich in Italy? Okay. Well, for for anybody who's not aware, the Führer is terrorizing. Put that into context for Lambro, please. <laughs> He's going to think. <laughs> I, need okay. some, I need some context. Okay, yeah, so... He needs context have, have, you, have, you, have you heard of Adolfo Gaich? Argentinian forward. Never. No. Okay, well, honestly, neither had I until he moved to Russia, so you're not on your own. So, he moved to Russia to CSK, and, uh, Hany, do you remember the transfer fee? Eight and a half million euros. Eight and a half million euros. And he stunk. Which like, he was... Euros. He was, like, if you had planted a tree in the middle of the opponent's box, that was what he was like. Like, he was terrible. His movement, he he reversed like a, a, a like a bin truck. Like, it was just awful to watch. Um, so, CSK were like, right. Look, we're gonna send this guy alone, and hopefully another team will pick him up. So he went to Benevento, and ever since he went there, he has been ripping it up in the, in this area. Like he has been unbelievable, and he is the reason that Juventus dropped points last week. Yeah, he scored. Um, Weird. He's yeah, he scored the match winner, and the reason Artem called him the Führer out of the blue was because there is this poor fella, right? His name is Adolfo, and he's from Argentina, and he has German ancestry. So some jackass in Argentina started calling him the Führer. And then ever since, Russian media and everybody's just been having fun with it. So that's why, you know, his, his, his name is that. But yeah, I'm he's, trying he's, to find the picture. I'm trying to find the picture of him. We with had a player this. named Oscar Cardozo, who was um, good in his prime, I think, in Portugal and Benfica. Yeah. And he was terrible. Oh, my God. He was like... The tree is like the perfect example. He was so bad. That was the year I think we we'd had Emanike as well. Just or was it the year before? I don't remember. But Emanike was the one who played for Russia in Russia as well, right? Yeah, Spartak. There's lots yeah, of players he, like that. He was yeah. terrible for us. He was beyond terrible. He was garbage. Oh my god, one of the worst flops ever at Olympiakos, I think. It was <laughs> so bad. There's lots of players that go from Russia to Greece or Greece to Russia. You had Pontus one mainly at Pauk for some reason. So oh, got, Pontus Vernabloom, just yeah. terrible. Huge money too and <laughs> terrible. Yeah, then there was Christian Noboa, who is like the yeah. most capped foreigner in Russian football, something like that. He went for Pauk six months. Mauricio, who's half Russian. Mauricio uh, is Russian, huh? He's yeah, playing for Panathinaikos now. He's actually, I really rate him. He's been a great midfielder in our country. I, I would yeah, say, yeah. I really enjoyed. Oh, him. he's he's amazing. You're also, you've also got Valbuena as well. He's still playing in Olympiacos, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, he's he's going strong. Matthew Valbuena is. I love the guy. Well, we'll see. I think he's staying one more year as well, going into 37. So, we'll see. I think he deserves one more year with fans as well. You know, I think it's one of those as well. So we'll see. Yeah, Natko, that's another fella um, who spent a bit of time at um, Olympiacos. There's always been these guys like um, AK have been signing some random Russians from Ufa, which is a small club, random yeah. RPL players. So there is a lot of, you know, mixing and matching going on between. Hey, Hanu, don't you disrespect Ufa like small club. Name how many clubs have bought, how many, how many um, teams teams that Manchester City have bought from in Russia? Um, CSK Moscow. Yeah. yeah they Anymore? Bought, they bought, I don't know. They, you can't just ask me questions like that and then... I can't. How many? They, 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 they went and they specifically got Zinchenko from Ufa. They're which no is, small club. Which is crazy, actually. I, I have they, a question about Russian football, actually. Oh, How shit is it when... You just have to stop playing football in the winter. Like that would annoy me so much, you know. Like just like the league is getting hot and tight, and then like what is it like? You guys have a two month break or two and a half month break? Like two and a half, 
Okay, that would infuriate me so much. Like, I don't know. I, how do you guys feel about that? Of course, there's no real solution, but yeah. It's absolutely awful. It probably is the worst like time of the year every year. Like, I think everybody goes into a mild depression when <laughs> when the last game is played on the 12th of December or whenever. Like, it's just... And you know that... Like, one of the biggest problems is, like, Russian teams haven't been doing well in Europe. But it, let's say they get out of the group stages. Their first games back in professional football are in Europe, which just means we have no chance ever. So it's just the winter break is a mess in every way possible, and I hate it. But there is there a solution like other than the break? Because we have the break from December 20th until January 3rd usually, and I'm always just like sitting at home like <laughs> Christmas, enjoying the holidays. But like on the, I'm always so jealous the English teams play like right after Christmas, and you can like sit down and watch games like while eating leftovers or whatever. Like what? But okay, that that's the Greek side. But is there another solution to to just having a? It's just too cold, right? Like there's nothing else they can really do. The only thing they could do possibly is indoor stadiums, but I just like, you know, only Zenit I think are, are actually capable of having that. They've got the roof above theirs, so there's not really a solution. Uh, and I think to be honest, the, the the way the league works, um, basically what happens is they'll have a long break at winter, and then that the summer it's only like one month unless there's an international tournament on. Um, but like it is it. It is actually just ridiculous. And this is why I was saying to Hanu actually before, a few episodes ago, we were talking about whether we'd prefer to go back to the old format of Russian football, which used to be we play from March until December. So the league ends in November slash December. Um, and I actually prefer that because there's no break. Like like you said, the league heats up and out of nowhere. Just, okay, see you in three and a half months. And all that momentum is gone. It does add a dynamic to the league, I guess. Like some teams come out of it and, you know, go on to have a great run or the opposite but i'd much prefer just to have a like like cohesive league season yeah i yeah. mean it's always painful and you know the, the like the craziest thing about the winter break is um so that the clubs go on vacation in like uh 20th december something something around that and then they come back from their holidays in mid-january something like that and they mostly go to turkey sometimes they go to the middle east and the first couple of days, right, they take on random clubs. Like it will be a Qatari third division club or it will be a Montenegro random club. But you are so excited for those stupid friendlies because you've just been so long <laughs> since you watched Russian football. So that that's always a really weird time of year. Yeah. Um, and I feel like as uh, like a foreigner coming to Greece is quite easy because the weather's good and like... It's not so expensive as well, but like being a foreigner and going to Russia, I think the big thing about Manolas not going to is like a lot of Greek people were like, yo, is this guy like literally obsessed with going to the beach and like spending holiday <laughs> like in the sun going to go to Russia? You know, it's so cold and like that, yeah. that like in the season just stops in the middle of like the winter. Is he going to like be able to re-motivate himself? Would any Greek player be able to re-motivate himself? Because it's something they're not used to. There's like. It's really unique in that way, I would say. And again, yeah. for you're almost screwed for European football, right? Like because you have no, like when those games come in February, how many league games have you played? Like none, not that many. Yeah. Right? None. none. That's yeah. the problem. You only play them the, the month after. So like this time, this season when Krasnodar were playing, they had a game against uh, Dinamo Zagreb, which was their first game of the year, and then they had a cup game, and then again Dinamo Zagreb. So they lost all three, by the way. So that's what <laughs> that's what have become. Um, tenth in the league, just an awful club. Um, but going back to actually not going back to the U21s, we have to mention the U21s because sadly the Greek U21s aren't in this competition in the Euros. They played a qualifying game today against Cyprus, which really tripped yeah. me out because why are you playing a qualification game? I thought it was a Euro game, but apparently it was not. It was just a draw against Cyprus in the qualifiers. But Artem, Russia were amazing against Iceland. And we've spoken a lot about how golden this generation is, how these guys are better than the senior team, how a lot of these players, like all of the players in the Russian team are starters at proper senior clubs. 
some of which play in Europe. Uh, but what do you think of this performance? Chalov got a goal and three assists. Zakarian was only 17 with a goal and assist, I believe. It's coming home, Artem, isn't it? I really hope so. Like, that team, like you said, is generational. And we're not talking about how, oh, this team was way better than the current generation when the current generation were younger. No, we're talking about this team would beat the first team right now. Like, without any any doubt. Like, they're unbelievable. Zaharan, like, in the last... He's only come out in, like, the last month. And yeah. now he's, like, one of the best players in that team. He's only 17. Lisevoy's been around for a while. Chalov's already proved himself. Makarov's been good this season. Oblakov's unbelievable. Like, Evgeny and Divev, unbelievable centre-back partnership. I don't think you're going to find that in any other team in the under-21 zeros. And Maximenko, yeah. just a fantastic keeper. Like, unbelievable core to that team. And, like, even the subs bench for them are just fantastic. Like, I really, really have uh, have confidence in this team. And I really hope that they uh, they can bring it home. Yeah, I mean, all of these guys, that's what we're saying. Like, Maximenko is among the best keepers in the league. Divya and Yevgeniev might be the best centre-back partnership in the league, right? And Chalov is great. Lisova, one of the best players in the league this season. It's a very, very good team. And even the manager, man, I like the guy. I hope he takes over from Chechesov. Because Chechesov has just got that air of, like, not boredom, but it's like you never get excited about one of his teams. But here it's like people were more excited yeah, about Galactiana the was... 21 game than the Russia Malta game, yeah. Yeah, like, Kalektianov is, is great. And he's he's really suited to international football. Like, obviously, he had that quick stint with, uh, you know, Ahmad and didn't do too well. But, like, when when he's managing these Russia sides, it's like he knows exactly what's going on in every, every part of the game. He's, he's very tactically sound and his teams play very interesting football as well. So I would absolutely welcome, with this generation coming through, him continuing to, to coach them all the way up to senior level. Because I think it's it's a bit of an, like, like international jobs and club jobs are completely two different jobs. I don't think that someone who is successful in international football is necessarily going to be uh, successful in club football and the opposite way around. I think Galactianov has proved himself to be a great international manager uh, and it's only a matter of time until he takes takes the senior team on, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited. We only need... I think even if we get a draw in our next two games, that might be enough, but a win and we're through against France or Denmark, whichever, so it's great. Um, Lambro, I want to ask you two questions. One about youth football, one about senior football. There's only 10 mm-hmm. minutes until the Spain game kicks off, the Spain-Greece game. So first, what's mm-hmm. your prediction for that? What do you think the score is going to be? I'm going 5-0 Spain. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I, I, and, and I say that completely. That It's not a meme, guys. Like, um, Zolis, Fortunis, Yakumakis, these players got called up and they're the three best attacking talent we have. Zolis is yeah. off to a huge club in the summer. Fortunis is a, he's one of these players we, we talk about as a player. You guys may have some players like this who don't want to leave the country and they're so brilliant. You're just like, I almost want you to leave Greece so people internationally can see how good you are. You know, we've seen him oh, yeah. so long at Olympiakos and Yakumakis is one of the top scorers in Europe in the Eredivisie, to be fair, but like still. And the manager goes ahead and starts Bakakis at right back, who's been benched by a center back at right back, Limnios, who can't play for his German team. And then he plays Zavellas and Kiriakos Papadopoulos, who are players from eight years ago. Like, it, it's yeah. it, it's absurd. It's it, it, it's just absurd. And I think I think this is going to be really harsh to say, but I think Greece needs a bit of a a wake up call today. And I think a five five no will do them do them that. And the coach I think needs a wake up call because it's just it's ridiculous to first of all to kick off Manolas, Socrates, and Siovas. You guys probably and your listeners don't have much background in that. They've been kicked off the team. But then, sure, you can make that decision. But then you have Mavropanos, the, the kid from Arsenal. I don't know if you guys yeah, yeah, yeah. have seen much about him. And he's he's playing fantastic in Germany. 
But then you start Kiriakos Papadopoulos, who, of course, gave us brilliant memories eight years ago in the European in the Euros. But he's playing for the worst team in Croatia, a team that's conceded 20 more goals than the second last team in Croatia. So it's a bit like, what are we doing here? <laughs> because yeah. we're we're a small country. We already have a limited talent. And you either leave them out of the squad or leave them on the bench. Like, it's shocking. And I don't know. I it, I was saying that the coach is done when we went out to Slovenia with his atrocious decision making. But it seems like everyone is almost like he should be gone with the team selection today. So we'll see. Yeah. But. But I, I'll, I'll say 5-0. No. Like, seriously, not even joking, I, I, I expect it to be a pretty easy win for Spain. Which is disappointing because it's like a beautiful holiday for us. and It is, yeah. It, it's like such an important day for the country. Independence Day and they're going to get yeah. smashed by Spain. But it's really sad. You, you never know. You never know. It could just out of nowhere. It, this could I, be the greatest I, I guess, celebration. I guess it could, but like... I'm looking, so we're starting Bacasetas at striker, who is a a really mediocre freezer. 10. He's not who's even probably Greece's, out of everyone who's called up, I say he's the worst 10. From Mantalos, who's the captain of Ike, Fortunis of Olympiacos, and Pelkas, who's playing fantastic at Fenerbahce. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> this guy's a mediocre 10, and now he's going to play striker for us when we have the leading goal scorer of the RDVZ and one of the top most informed strikers in Europe on the bench. Like, just unreal, yeah. you know, just unreal. It is, yeah. Make. Like, our, our Russian national team manager is known for making pretty dodgy tactical decisions in these games. And I don't know, this is, we haven't seen anything as bad. And you mentioned Fortunus. Artem Fortunus is like the Greek Alan Zagoyev. That's the best. Because he's the same player. He's like a number 10, super creative but he just never left Russia. Except, I guess, Zagoyev's career was destroyed by injury, whereas Fortunus is just one of those fellas who's not left Greece. Um, and, yeah, my second question was, is the is the Greek U21 team any good? Is your next generation good? Are you as excited about your generation as we are about the Russian one? Or do you feel like, no, it's, it's average, it's not that good? I actually... The, that's the crazy thing too. We're optimistic of. Um, I'll just give you Zolis. Of course, is the future. He's gonna go to a huge team in the summer. Um, but we have a few guys. Duvikas is another player who didn't even make the bench. One of the most informed Greek striker probably in Greece. He's like yeah. 20 years old. He's fantastic as well. He'll probably Pauk and the club he's at have a connection, so he's probably off to Pauk in the summer. But teams abroad are looking at him. There's another attacker who plays for Larissa, which is a mediocre team in Greece. Uh, sorry to the Larissa fans. I know there's one who comes on our podcast quite often, Michael. He's a great guy, but uh, named uh, Binakas, and he's, yeah. he's really good. Uh, and and we have decent players like Yanulis at left back. Chimikas, of course, is young, but at uh, Liverpool, we have a player who's playing for Olympiacos named Danasis Andruzos, who I really rate. Um, yeah. Mavro Panos, Panos Rezos. You have you have something, you know, like this is not yeah. a mediocre generation by any stretch. And there's it, it, it's just it, it's just like, will it come up and will it be used properly? Because for me, there's a good chance that this will be a fantastic. Gen- I, I think post World Cup 2014, it's just been been a mess. Right. It, it's been really, yeah. really bad. But maybe this is like, how would you say, like a gap sort of closer yeah, yeah, yeah. generation change? I don't know. But I just, this team isn't going anywhere. I don't, we're not qualifying for this World Cup. So the, so the future is 2024. Um, yeah. You're that, so that's, disappointed that's in the team that you've given up your qualification hopes before the qualification has even started. Yeah. Unless, unless again, the, co- the coach gets fired after... And it's very likely, I, I mentioned briefly, that there, we're having new football uh, association yeah, yeah, yeah. Le- elections. And I have a gut feeling that the the guy who's going to get elected, Zagurak, he's, he's, he's top. He's respected by every Greek footballer. He's probably yeah. going to call Socrates. He's going to call Manolas. He's going to fire the coach. And he's going to bring in probably a, a decent Greek coach. Like yeah. maybe one of his friends from Euro 2004 type thing. Like Delas, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... 
that's the only hope we have is like if this coach leaves i think i'm we're gonna have a podcast that we're doing tonight after this game and i'll get my thoughts out on that some more so if your your listeners are interested my my co-hosts are so much more coherent i would say almost they're they're really good so so listen so uh yeah they'll, they'll explain it a little better but it's just disappointing to be a Greek football fan at the moment, I think. Or to be Olympiakos, times are good, you know. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> to be a fan of the other Greek yeah. teams and uh, the national team, it's not so great. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty similar with us, you know. And don't worry about incoherence. This podcast thrives of incoherence, right? We don't do coherence here anyway. Um, but completely shifting topic, and we'll try to wrap up soon. Artem, there has been a big managerial change in Russian football. Goncharenko was sacked. He's gone. CSK have been freed. And this news sort of got covered up because it was a few days ago. And they signed Ivika Olic um, as the replacement. He's never managed professional football before. He was just Croatia's assistant coach. But he's come through and he's um, come through with a few of his friends from the Balkans that used to play for CSK back in the day. What do you think of this appointment? Do you think it's going to pan out well? Or... And do you think they should have fired Goncharenko right now? Um, what do you think of CSK this season? I think that it was time for Goncharenko to go. Yeah. But I don't think Olic is the man to take them forward. I'm not going to lie. I just... Look, maybe it's just me being naive. Because, like you said, he hasn't managed professional football yet. So we don't really know what he can do. But, like, I just... I, I don't know what he can actually bring to the table. Like, is he actually... Like, was he the guy doing doing tactics for Croatia behind the scenes? Like, what what is he actually going to bring to the team? Like, I watched his first, like, the way he addressed the team. And he was speaking in Russian, but it was like, it looked like he was a, a new player joining the team. Like, it didn't look like he was the man in charge. You know what I mean? Like, he sounded yeah. nervous. He didn't sound like he was the, like, he, he didn't sound like he was the boss. He didn't sound like the guy who's going to motivate the players when, when you know, they're going on a bad run or they're behind in a game or something. And that's what, like, kind of worries me about this disappointment. Like, I just, I don't know. For me, it just doesn't seem like it's going to go well. Maybe CSK fans know more than me about it, but I just haven't very confident. What do you think of it? I, I agree with you, man. I agree with everything you said. I think it was time for Goncharenko to go because I feel bad for him because in the winter it was like he was going to get sacked, but they beat Rostov 4-0, so they you know kept him in a job. And since the winter break ended, he's just really looked out of his depth. He's done well. He's not a bad manager, but he took the team as far as he could. And then, I don't know, man. Ivica Olic, it's just... we don't. I don't know what to think of him because it's another one of those appointments of them signing an ex-player who wants to be a manager, who's got as much managerial experience as we do on football manager. So we don't know how this guy's tactics are. We don't know. The only thing is that he knows Nikola Vlasic because they were in the same team because, you know, he's Croatia manager and whatnot. But I'm not a well, big that's fan not of gonna, That's not going to help him pass this summer, though. That's the problem. Exactly. It's like, oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. No, this is going to make Vlasic stay. I doubt it. It's not. Highly. Nice. It's not. And then, especially when he's going to lose Vlasic, it's going to be even tougher for him because they're not going to be able to replace Vlasic. Because it's they didn't expect Vlasic to be this good, first of all. So it's even harder replacing a player like that. So, I mean, I don't know. He's taken a big responsibility. I think CSK people, the insiders have said that it's partly an emotional decision, partly a, a, a level-headed decision. Um, but Lambro, just before we go, right, we've transplanting this into general football there's this trend these days that we talk about often where you've got someone like Mikel Arteta or you've got someone like Andrea Pirlo who was a legendary footballer and their ex-clubs just love to take a chance on them they don't even look at real managers with coaching badges or experience and it's these romantic moves have really become common and I just want to know what you think of that entire trend do you like it Um, of course you've got a manager who is much more of a traditional manager, and he's doing very well. Um, so, yeah, what do you think of this trend that's going around these days? So it's interesting. Um, I I'm really uh, I I'm torn because we spoke with Stelios Yanakopoulos, and he talked to us about um, like not getting a chance coaching almost like um, 
and it's so it's really fair like he he was explaining how some of these guys have so much experience and they don't really they've been at the top level they won Euro 2004 and a lot of the guys who have gotten into coaching from that end have just never gotten a chance like in Greece they tend to opt for like a foreigner who who may be from like an interesting country and not giving these guys a chance and if they give these guys a chance they give them a short leash and they're gone really quick so it's a little different culturally for from Greek football, but like overall, I think it's a bit ridiculous. Like Frank Lampard, when he got the coaching job of Chelsea, yeah, what did he do to deserve a team of that size and that budget? Nothing. It, it was a bit ridiculous to me. Um, yeah. I don't know what you guys thought of that, but like Mikel Arteta, I, I, I don't know. I've, I've, I've always. I've liked the way Pep Guardiola plays football, so who doesn't, right? But yeah. So I thought maybe he would be a decent guy for the job. He was saying the right things. And maybe long-term he is. Maybe they just have to get all the dead weight out of the team. But, but like, again, Pirlo, another one. Like, what did he do to earn the job? That was a terrible decision. And now you're stuck in this place where you fire a club legend and there's a bitter taste in the mouth for a club legend. It's... <laughs> It's a lose-lose because the person's going to have to leave at some point, right? So yeah, you, I think the best way to do it is like how Steven Gerrard has kind of done it, you know, built up and yeah. actually built a resume. Like, I don't know. That's just my opinion on it. Yeah, I mean, that that's fair. I completely agree. Gerrard's, that is probably the way to go. Start slow and then, you know, make your way up to a, a proper job. Um, but the games have started and, you know, we don't want to keep any of us um, any of it too long because there's a couple of really interesting games on. Yeah. Um, so before we go, Artem, is there anything else you'd like to discuss? No, I think that's it for this week, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Lambro, thanks a lot again for coming on. Is there anything you'd like to plug, of course, your Twitter, the podcast stuff? Yeah, um, sure. Please go ahead. Yeah, guys. So you can follow me at Lambrosimos. Um my Twitter handle is a little difficult, so you can follow us at Gate7INTL, which is Gate7 in the un- number, and then just INTL. Um, yeah, we're just expanding Greek football. We're expanding Olympiakos. That's our love and uh, passion. The national team's kind of a side project for me. I know my co-hosts love the national team. Don't get me wrong. I love the national team. I am Greek. But I, I love Olympiakos, and I want to make Olympiakos a club that is up there with the biggest clubs in the world. You know, it's a club that has fans in Asia, has fans in Africa, it has friends, fans in the U.S. that have no connection to Greece. And we're yeah. just going to keep doing that by bringing the club closer to the fans, to you guys, hopefully making fans out of people. You know, I hope you guys become two new Olympiacos fans or at least look out for our results every now and then. And yeah. you have a source to find out about results too via our podcast, our tweets, and other things. And... Who knows, we, we may do some more stuff in the future. I don't want to give anything away, but more player interviews. We have another player interview on Sunday with a former Greek-American Olympiakos player. And we're just going to keep pumping out content. We know the quarantine's tough for a lot of people, so anything we can do to brighten people up, bring them stories, bring them closer to the team they love, the country they love, that's that's, that's our job. So we want to keep doing that. Yeah, really do appreciate all you guys are doing, of course. Um, give the guys a follow, give their parts a listen. And thanks a lot again, man, for coming on. Artem, would you like to round things off again, as you usually do? Okay, so if you enjoyed the podcast this week, please leave a like on YouTube. Please leave a gold medal on SportRex. Let us know what you thought um, about anything. Let us know if you think uh, Olic is the right uh, person to take over from Goncharenko or anything else that we spoke about in this podcast. Um, And we will see you all next week.